Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you tune in. Have you ever watched a natural disaster unfold on the television and thought, if only the people had warning, some might have been saved? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was the mouthpiece of God to the people of Israel, warning them of imminent demise if they persisted in their disobedience and rebellion. They had warning, but they chose not to listen. Hello, let's pay attention as we join Dr. Corbett tonight for The Fall of Jerusalem. Today we're back in Jeremiah. We've had a little excursion off into Ezekiel. I'm going to make a reference to something that Ezekiel said, which almost certainly was something that he heard from uh, Jeremiah. And hopefully we can piece this together so that you can get this. So we're now moving into a new section. You'll see why, because in this section of Jeremiah, and we're in chapter 39, we're looking at the first 10 verses and we start this section. It's, It's the courage of Jeremiah. This is where we, we have been looking at the first 38 chapters of Jeremiah making some very, very bold prophetic claims, prophetic predictions. And, it, and largely, if we were to boil it down, we would, we would summarize what Jeremiah has been prophesying as saying that Babylon was going to come, they were going to conquer the city, and they were going to destroy the temple and exile the people. And th- this would last for a period of 70 years. And it just seemed unthinkable. And when, of course, Babylon did come in the first time, they came in, they, they deposed the king. He installed the uncle of the king as, as his puppet king and this puppet king whom he changed his name from Mataniah to Zedekiah. When he refused to pay the taxes, the tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar then said, okay, we're just going to come and destroy you. And Jerusalem at that time was a city surrounded by a very high wall, probably around 10, 12 metres high, uh, which is a little bit wider than the width of this building. And they actually had two layers of walls. They had an outside wall and then another wall around the, the, uh, the palace and temple precinct. And you can see evidence of those walls today if you visit Jerusalem as well. And this, when, when the Babylonian army came, the Israelites shut the gates of the city and, and they felt because they had farmland, they had water, they could hold off their enemies for an indefinite period. And this is what's called a siege. And so they were in siege for nearly two years. And then eventually, as we'll see in a moment, the Babylonians broke through. I remind you that Jeremiah has been imprisoned. So while this is happening, Jeremiah is in prison. Of course, the false prophets who were contending against Jeremiah were accusing him of being a false prophet. They were accusing him of lying, making it up. And now Jeremiah is being thoroughly vindicated. And, and he's clearly not happy about this. You would think you've made certain predictions and now they're coming true very literally. This would you know, bring joy to your heart. But what he was prophesying was the destruction of his city 
and the death of many of his countrymen and the exile of friends and family. And this was a sad, a very sad time. He says in Jeremiah chapter 9 that when he foresaw what God was going to do, his eyes became like streams. They, they became like rivers. And he said that the amount of tears that flowed from his eyes because he could see what God was going to do uh, overwhelmed him. And this is why he's called the prophet who wept. Jeremiah, the prophet who wept. So this is, we're moving into this um, stage, part six of, of Jeremiah, looking at his courage. This will deal with the fall of Jerusalem. This is such an important event in Jewish history And it's such an important climax to what Jeremiah has been prophesying that the details of this event will be repeated in Jeremiah at least another two times. And so you're going to see reference to this in the closing three chapters again. They'll 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 revisit this again. So what Jeremiah was saying was the temple will be destroyed. God will divorce you. He'll, He'll hand you over to the foreign nations. You'll be exiled. You'll be out of the land for 70 years. Then he will return some of you. And the word is remnant. We're in Jeremiah chapter 39. We're looking at verse 1 to start with. In the ninth month of Zedekiah, king of judah in the 10th month nebuchadnezzar king of babylon and all his army came against jerusalem and besieged it verse 2 so you got the time frame in the ninth year now we're in the 11th year of zedekiah in the fourth month on the ninth day of the month note the detail here there is phenomenal detail here we have a lot of evidence for this happening and the detail here, it's not, you know, roughly 40 years ago. It's the 11th year of Zedekiah in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. He's told the king, the last thing you'll see is the king of Babylon and you'll see your sons killed. And that's exactly what's happened. He didn't give that detail to Nebuchadnezzar. And this, this as I said, the, the historicity of this account, that is... The fact that this is historically accurate is not disputed by anyone. The fact that Jeremiah said it would happen 20, 30, 40 years, or no, 20, 30 years before it happened, and it happened exactly as he said it would, I think gives us tremendous confidence in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to suggest this this passage is one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is divinely inspired. Not just this, and not just that it's divinely inspired. This is an amazing section. It also vindicates Jeremiah. You can imagine the mixed emotions Jeremiah is now feeling. Remember, he's back in Jerusalem. Um, this all took place not in Jerusalem, as you can see. This took place outside of the city on the way at a place called Riblah. And it, it didn't happen in Babylon. And again, Jeremiah actually gave prophecies to Nebuchadnezzar that he would never see Babylon. Now, he was taken to Babylon. But Jeremiah's prophecy was that he wouldn't see it. So this is tremendous vindication. It powerfully vindicates Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. Now, I find this intriguing. I find this intriguing that atheists who attack the Bible generally steer clear of Jeremiah. And if I was an atheist, 
I would too. Good strategy, atheists. Because it would be like trying to move a mountain of granite with a ping pong ball and a table tennis bat. Come on, move. And no matter how hard you try to dismantle this, it's just going to come back at you just as fast. Because it is just not disputed that Jeremiah actually prophesied this and it happened exactly as he said. It should cause you to think, what else did Jeremiah prophesy? He prophesied about Jesus and we'll see that in a moment. Jeremiah 21 verse 10. For I have set my face against the city for harm and not for good declares the Lord it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon you see there so we we have this prophecy from Jeremiah that Babylon would come that's one that I'm showing you from chapter 21 we have a uh, I want to bring out this point also and we'll see a scripture that Jeremiah, Jeremiah had already given as well the God This is something I think is profound because what we could do at this point is dovetail in another book, which I I may do a little bit later on, and it's the book of Habakkuk. Depending on which Bible college you went to, it's either Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, he's in the background in Jerusalem while this is going on. And and he's, he's scratching his head. He's a he's what we call a minor prophet. He's heard what Jeremiah said, and and Habakkuk is the is one of the the few prophets that we have a book by him, where he actually doesn't make any prophecies, and you might warm to this guy because the book is all about the questions he asks God. Anyone ever had moments like that? And here's Habakkuk asking a question that you may find yourself asking, and it relates to this event. God, okay, we're bad, but Nebuchadnezzar, you're using Nebuchadnezzar to judge us? This guy's an idolater, a murderer. He's goodness knows what he does in his bedroom. This guy is far worse than us. And that's essentially what the book of Habakkuk is all about. This prophet does not understand. It's, all a, it's a book of questions. How on earth could you use someone like this? So I want you to know that because sometimes we come to those moments in life where we don't know what God's doing in our lives and we ask questions of God and I think that's that's okay. And the answer is coming looking at it now from the big picture which we have the privilege of doing, we can see God had a good reason. So this morning I'm reading through uh Jeremiah 39 and Ruby's uh, nuggled in beside me there and she's reading along and she said, "Daddy was Nebuchadnezzar a good man?" This is coming from an eight-year-old girl. Was Nebuchadnezzar a good man? How do you answer that question? And my answer was, well, God used him. And I'll tell you, he didn't start off good. In fact, he was a really bad man. And we're going to, in the new year, pick up some of the background leading up to this and some of the background that happens after this. So while Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, there's a whole bunch of people with Nebuchadnezzar back in Babylon. And we'll pick that up in a moment in in the next few weeks as we look at Daniel. Was Nebuchadnezzar a good man? He didn't start off good. But what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel? He surrenders to God. He gives his life to God. 
He becomes a worshipper of God. He becomes a good man. So God has ordained human instruments to carry out his temporary justice. Police have written down, you can Google this, that many people say that their excuse they give for speeding is that they were running late for church. Well, Paul says you should fear the government even if they don't honour God because they are there as God's instruments of justice. And here we see that clearly as as an example we come down oh this is another verse we're coming back in time as well where this is just to show you some of the things that jeremiah had prophesied this is chapter 32 and verse 4 zedekiah king of judah shall not escape out of the hand of the chaldeans but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of babylon as we've just seen and shall speak with him face to face and note this expression shall see him eye to eye now why would he say that because it was the last thing he did see. And there was a young kid listening to this, and his name was Ezekiel. And when Ezekiel retells this, he says in chapter 12 and verse 13, And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. This is speaking of King Zedekiah. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, and he shall die there. This is amazing. Because this is all being spoken about King Zedekiah before it happened. So you can have tremendous confidence in Scripture that it is the inspired Word of God. Sometimes if you read the Bible and you don't really know God, because when you come to know God, you come to know that he's good and he only ever does good. Do, Do you know that? He's good. He only ever does good. And even when it looks like bad things are happening or he does bad things, he always, always, always has a good reason for it. Always. So if you don't know God, reading the Bible is kind of like reading someone else's mail, isn't it? Because you don't really know the sender. You don't get it. But if you get it, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this point. God is good, only ever does good. If you don't get that, you'll read how God sent Israel into the promised land and said there are people already dwelling there, the Canaanites. I want you to wipe them out. Kill every man, woman, boy, girl. Kill their animals. Kill the whole deal. And many people look at that and go, wow, that's harsh. Now, I want you to think why God was using Israel to do that. Because we've just seen, previous principle, is that God ordains human instruments to carry out his temporary justice. So to carry out his temporary justice, he'll use human instruments. So God used Israel to carry out temporary justice on people. What were these people doing? These Canaanites were regularly abusing children. How were they doing it? You can read. These children were being sexually abused. They were being thrown alive onto fiery altars in the name of the worship of the idols that these people were worshipping. In the process of that, women were being abused in the worst kind of ways. So you had some arguably the two most vulnerable people in society, women and children, being abused heinously by the Canaanites. And God says to Israel, they've got to be judged. Now, As you think about that, I I now want you to... Because some people want to paint that as racism or genocide. It wasn't genocide. It wasn't racism. It was justice. That's all it was. Now think about what's happening now. And this is how we know it's not racism and it's not genocide. 
Because God is now using the Babylonians to judge his people, the Israelites, for exactly the same reasons. And we've already seen in Jeremiah how he, he, he sheds even more tears when he addresses the issue of them throwing their babies, their newborn babies into the furnace, the Valley of Hinnom. So everything that God used Israel to judge the Canaanites for when they came in, and by the way, it was just a one-off thing. It's not a, it's not a standing law. Jeremiah 39 verse 5 says this, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, as we've seen. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. So sentence, that's a justice word, isn't it? Now God will sometimes use the most unlikely people to carry out his purposes. You'll be taken to Babylon, but you won't see it. And why couldn't he see it? Because his eyes were burnt out or taken out of his head. Wow. Now, we could look at this and go, why didn't God rescue them? God sent Jeremiah the prophet from the age of 13 or so to prophesy for two decades that this was going to happen if they didn't repent. And they didn't repent. (laughs) God gave them decades of warning. Decades of warning. And they ignored him i remind you jeremiah is in a prison in jerusalem he's safe so jeremiah in the midst of saying all of this was coming god was able to protect him and i think this is an important point because sometimes we're reluctant to serve god we're reluctant to speak up in the tea room we're reluctant to say something at the sporting club we're reluctant to say something and by the way i just suggest rather than say something ask something Rather than say something, ask the question. Someone says, I think all religions are the same. Rather than say, they are not. Why don't you ask a question that goes something like this? Oh, what do you mean? Because Buddhism says there is no God. Christianity says there is. Are they the same? Just a question. You haven't actually said anything, but you have got people thinking. Because sometimes people say really dumb things. When it comes to spirituality, religion and the Bible. Have you noticed? So God was able to protect him. Now here's the point because as we now draw some pictures from this passage. We can see that God is able to eternally, eternally protect. And that's the best kind of protection you can experience. All those who put their faith and trust in him. If you have said, Jesus, I give you my life. Be Lord of my life. I trust you for my salvation. You then are eternally protected protected and wouldn't you want that jeremiah chapter 39 verse 8 says this the chaldeans burned the king's house and now we're back in jerusalem and the house of the people that is the temple and broke down the walls of jerusalem verse 9 then nebuzaradan the captain of the guard carried into exile to babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city who had deserted to him and the people who remained. This, by the way, is called the exile. Now, why is it important? Because if you're reading Matthew chapter 1, you'll read this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus, um, uh, uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Esau and his brothers. And there are 14 generations from Abraham to David. 
Then it says this, and David was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father. And it goes on to the next section where it says, and there are 14 generations from David to the exile. And this is what it's talking about, the exile. So it's a term that the Bible uses as a really important point, not to be confused with the exodus. Okay, verse 10, chapter 39, verse 10. Now, Basradan, the captain of the guard left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. And by the way, as we read, they interbred with, with uh, surrounding people and they became the Samaritans. And we pick up in the New Testament about the Jews and the Samaritans. In other words, the Jews that were taken away and come back and they find these people who've interbred, they're kind of, kind of in Jerusalem and around the district and they're not really true Jews anymore and they despised them. There's the origin of why the Samaritans were hated and you read about that when you read the stories of Jesus. So what do we see from this passage? It's a very, very sad passage that Jeremiah had repeatedly warned his generation that God would bring true justice. He had told them over and over and over that it was going to happen. You know, I I look at this and and as a parent, I want a parent like God parents. If God, God is utterly consistent, I think that's the number one thing for a parent to be is consistent. Be consistent. And... And when a parent says something, have you noticed this? Whenever God says something, he says, if you do that, I'll do this. And I I see parents who say to the child, put that down or if you don't, look out. And the child doesn't put it down and there's nothing to look out for. Please, on behalf of the parents' guild of the world, if you make a threat, carry it out. Just don't make it a dumb threat. And I'm being very serious. If you say you won't watch TV for the next 12 years of your life, if you, what, you don't use the 12-year one? Whatever it is, whatever it is, you, you, you carry it out. Okay, now 12 years is a bit excessive in it. It's probably cap it at 10. The, the, that generation, <laughs> who said 10? I just followed the crowd then. That generation did not want to hear what God was saying to them through servant. And aren't we kind of living in a generation like that now? And I, and I think we, we've got some issues here as a church that we actually have to build some credibility with our audience with our community so that they might be more responsive to hear what we have to say Uh, what happened to jerusalem in 586 bc we can actually historians can give you the exact year the exact time this actually happened serves as a reminder to our generation today what's the reminder well the reminder is if god says something's going to happen and if he says there's consequences for certain actions we, we can't ignore that. I mean, read Romans chapter 1. If you're thinking in terms of same-sex marriage, just read what God says in Romans chapter 1. And he's not on a hate campaign. He's on a love campaign. But he says there's consequences to certain lifestyle choices and actions. Just be mindful of that. Okay. So what, what, what happened in, in Jerusalem in 586 B.C.? was repeated, and this is what most Christians don't know, this was actually repeated in 70 AD by the Romans. And when you read Matthew chapter 23, what we've just seen here in Jeremiah 39 is what Jesus is referencing. 
Jesus actually references this episode in Israel's history. And most Christians aren't aware of it. So this is very, very significant. So this, I was um, intrigued to hear through the service this morning that Sonia said she'd been reading in uh, Hebrews about, you know, uh, the new covenant and uh, Lynn read from Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, these things are a shadow. They are a copy of the real thing in heaven. And this is actually a shadow. What's happening here in Jeremiah is actually a shadow of what Jesus Christ is warning people about. You see, Jeremiah was saying, God is going to come in with temporary justice unless you surrender to him. Jesus Christ said the same thing. You read Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus said this, you must repent and you must surrender to God. If you don't, you will perish. So this is something Jesus Christ warned people about. So it was, it was Jeremiah who prophesied, and we've already seen this in chapters Uh, 31 and 33 he actually prophesied that jesus christ was going to come and do away with the need for a temple and the need for animal sacrifices and the need for priesthood and jesus christ was going to come and he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice he was going to come and be the temple that place where god and man meet and he was he himself was going to be the priest the one who stood between us and god and brought us together jeremiah he prophesied about jesus and now today we are in what jesus has established in other words we are in today what jeremiah foretold and prophesied this this is now what we have just seen in jeremiah 39 we are now today living in the outworking of what jeremiah said had to happen so that jesus could come And he said Jesus was going to come so that he could establish a new deal, a new covenant. And that new covenant is not a matter of what you do. It's not spelt D-O. It's spelt D-O-N-E. It's been done. This new covenant is a deal where Jesus says, I will do all the work and I will empower you to follow me. I will help you to follow me. Will you follow me? Will you surrender your life? to me into my hands and follow me and if you do jesus promises that you will experience peace with his father peace with god a peace that means you can spend eternity with god beyond the grave a peace that says the disasters the tragedies the setbacks the sufferings the trials the travesties of justice of this life will have meaning and purpose because they are all temporary and There is an ultimate justice, an ultimate reality, and you can experience it by surrendering to Jesus. That generation of Israel did not want to hear what God was saying to them through Jeremiah. Have you also set your heart against God's warnings, against his commandments? Do you need to stop and hear the word of God? More from Dr. Corbett next week. I will save you because you trust me. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Fall of Jerusalem, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, we invite you to visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.